As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! This episode of Can't Wait, presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. Two days of NFL free agency down, two big days for the Jets. Day one, all about the offense. Day two, they shift gears and they look at the defensive side of the ball and really cover up two big holes that they needed to. Tim McMaster here, along with Connor Hughes. One more day without Marissa Morris. But I'm going to say this, Connor, before we get into the free agency... Last night, we said we're going to go live. We were right on time. Tonight, we said 7 o'clock, right on time. I don't know. We get blamed a lot, but... Mm, I think we figured it sure. out. I think we figured it out. And the other the other big thing, too, is is that this, was, this one, I think, is even more impressive because we scheduled this one like five hours or so ago. I mean, we were piecing together, like the, the Jets made, obviously, the signings of, of Tomlinson and CJ yesterday. And that's when you and I were like, you know, we sent the text message in our little group chat. We're like, all right, I think we I think we should probably do a podcast tonight. It's a big deal. Like, is anything else coming? But we had that. We had Gilmore to talk about, Williams to talk about. It was like, all right, let's let's do this. Like, let's let's get a podcast in. So it was kind of last second. So being on time was almost like, all right, we're sitting at the computer. It's just a matter of turning on the webcams and starting the recording. This one was one that we put kind of in in motion a little bit earlier, had the timing set a little bit earlier, and we still made it on time. So I think, I think this one's even more impressive. Like all, all things considered, I think this one's the one that's going to go in the, uh, the can't wait hall of fame. I went for a walk with Mandy and the baby still made it back on time. Yeah. Magical. This one. All right, let's get into it. Um, they go cornerback and safety on day two. It's two positions that we obviously talked about on day one. The guys we talked about on day one last night, when we were doing the show were Stefan Gilmore and Marcus Williams, those are not the, well. We're going to talk about them today too, but yeah. that's not who the Jets got. Instead, the cornerback is DJ Reed. Let's start there. Three years, thirty-three million dollars, and there's kind of a common thread here in this free agency period, Connor, and that's guys with ties to the Niners, right? They get the O line yeah. yesterday with the Niners tied, and then DJ Reed drafted by the Niners in 2018 when Robert Sala was there. Ended up in Seattle after a big injury, but now he comes back to Robert Sala's defense. Um, from what I've seen, not necessarily considered a pure number one cornerback, though. Is is he good enough to be that for the Jets? 
Yeah. So here's the thing. And and this is what I, I kind of want everyone to remember. And, and it's why the Jets were not actively involved in, in the J.C. Jackson sweepstakes. It's why they didn't go out there and, and give an absurd contract to Davis from Tampa Bay. It's why they're I don't know if you'll see the Jets invest a, a, a significant draft pick in terms of the number four selection, number 10 selection or, or a top 10 selection in the coming years in a cornerback. And the reasoning for that is that this defense that the Jets run, the one that Robert Sala helped build originally in Seattle and then really mastered, re- build in Seattle, then uh, kind of fine-tune it and tweak it a little bit in Jacksonville and then really put it into effect and, and perfect it in San Francisco, is, is it's one that's not really reliant on lockdown corners outside. What this defense needs outside is competent corners who can play man coverage and can win their one-on-one battles. That's what the Jets want. You know, they they don't need Jalen Ramsey out there. They don't need Deion Sanders out there. I mean, that's why you saw them when they were at their best in San Francisco. They kind of had just really not really big name corners outside aside from Richard Sherman. And in Richard Sherman, he was not the player who was such a dominant, dominant force in Seattle. He was not that Richard Sherman. He was kind of half of what that Richard Sherman was. So the Jets don't necessarily need elite level guys out there, which is why, again, they were not in the Jackson sweepstakes. They were not in the Davis sweepstakes. They have never been considered a team that's been in the market for trading for a number one cornerback. So when they came out here and and they were able to get DJ Reed, what they're getting is a player that obviously has a pretty good understanding of Robert Sala's defense. Sala worked with them in 2018, 2019, and then a portion of 2020 before he then was cut. Um, but he's a guy that that fits exactly what the Jets need. Now, I'm, I'm fortunate enough where I know uh, a couple with two, several, a couple of my sources are actually they they're in Seattle, like they work for the Seahawks. So this one ended up kind of working out pretty well that they were able to sign him. That I wasn't able to just talk to people within the Jets building. I was able to go to the team that that you know davis is from and kind of pick their brain on what they got and and the funny thing is is that i heard a lot of the a lot of very very similar things both from the people that i talked to in seattle and obviously the people that i talked to within the jets building and and i reading off obviously a couple of the text messages that i got here elite competitor is one thing that i that i had you know is somebody who he's only five nine but he plays much bigger than what he is he's incredibly instinctive he loves football uh he's one of those guys that i heard he's not an unbelievable on-ball defender, but he is somebody that has pretty good ball skills. He's not going to kind of find himself out of position when the ball's in the air like Bryce Hall is. He's a guy who, and this was told to me both by people in Seattle and people in the Jets. In fact, this was literally the exact same quote that I got from two completely different people unrelated to each other. And it was, he's a very good to top end number two cornerback. That's what he is, is he's not a number one. He's never going to be a number one. He's not somebody that that is ever going to strike or or fight to be. Probably, I, I doubt he's ever going to be a Pro Bowl player. I don't think he's ever going to be an All Pro player. He's never going to be that kind of a guy. But he is a very, very, very good number two, potentially elite level number two. And that's what the Jets wanted to go out there and get this off season. You know, they wanted to go out there and get a cornerback that they can put on one side of their defense and not have to worry about him. They believe that Reed is that player. He's a guy who can play zone. He's a guy that's also very good in man coverage. Like I said, he's got pretty good ball skills. He's instinctive, loves football, incredible competitor, has obviously played at a very top level. He has experience within this defense, has experience working for Sala. And what they now have is a player that they can say, okay, you go over on that side of the defense. You're our outside corner there. Then they are going to have Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, and Isaiah Dunn compete for that other cornerback spot on the other side. I know Jet fans get very 
uh, up in arms when you criticize Bryce Hall. I know Jet fans kind of get a little ornery when you criticize Bryce Hall. But the fact is, is that the public perception of Hall is a little bit different than what the perception is, is of him inside the Jets building. The Jets believe that Hall, Dunn, and Eccles are all fringe number two corners, but really more number three corners. They are hoping that because all of these guys are young, especially in Dunn and Eccles' case because they're coming off rookie seasons, they're hoping that Eccles and Dunn or potentially Hall can take that next step this coming year and develop into a number two corner. Because if they can get another player that is a solidified, bona fide number two guy, pair him with Reed, but then you have Mike Carter in the nickel position, that's a scheme that, all right, now you're starting to, you've, you've got some groceries for Robert Sala to cook with here because this defense, when it's at its best, it is run by the defensive front. It is the defensive line that makes this defense work. You've got a dominant, forceful defensive front that can attack and get home with just four. You've got two rangy safeties back deep that can prevent anything over the top. And what those two things do is it alleviates the pressure on the cornerback position, which is why you can survive without the lockdown, bona fide, no doubt, shut down corner on the either side. So with Reed, this was a big addition for the Jets. This was a guy that they targeted, somebody that they got on a very team-friendly deal, which was another thing and another um, – uh, this was another uh, common common trend that I think we've seen Joe Douglas's first two off seasons. I know we talked about being aggressive, but it's really been the exact same thing here in off season number two. He's never going to overspend. He's never going to pay for more of what he's worth. And when you look at the Tomlinson deal, the CJ deal, this deal for Reed, and also the deal for Whitehead. These are all deals that are very cat friendly and team friendly. So the Jets were able to go out there and get a player who is young, somebody who is a scheme scheme fit somebody who is a need fit, someone who is a financial fit, and he's going to take over there on the other side and, and be a, uh, a focal point of this defense. I know there's some Jets fans out there that are thinking, okay, that, that's fine. We got a corner. We needed a corner, but we wanted Stefan Gilmore. Yeah. How did he – why not, Connor? What, what was the difference maker there? Was it just that, you know, does he want to play for a winner? Do you know? No, I, I don't think it was so much that. I, I honestly, like doing, doing some homework on it, it was, it was actually financial is what I heard a lot. A lot of what – People told me about Gilmore is that it was it was just very financial and and there was a scheme fit there with the Jets. It was you know he was going to work schematically for New York. He was going to work as as filling a need. He was going to be able to do some things that that the Jets were going to want to do. Be there, um, uh, uh, Richard Sherman for for this year's defense. There was some early interest there from the Jets. The problem was, and I I think this happened also with Marcus Williams, is that. And, and again, man, this is this is just going to be a trend. And I'll, I'll touch upon this right after I, I you know, answer the question directly is that Joe Douglas is never going to pay more for a player than what he believes that player is worth. It's just he's not. And I know that can frustrate fans, especially fans that want to see an infusion of talent and especially fans that want to see a big jump in overall players that look. We need a safety. We need a corner. Who cares if it costs $5 million more than you want to spend? Go get that corner. Go get it. The market dictates the value, right? That the market is what tells you what this player is worth, not what your head tells you that this player is worth. If somebody's willing to pay $15 million for this player, well, guess what? That's what that player's value is, $15 million. No, that's not how Joe Douglas works. Joe Douglas operates in his own vacuum. You can get frustrated by it. You can get angry by it. You can disagree with it. Unfortunately, if you're a Jet fan, this is just how it's going to operate, and this is just how it's going to work as long as Joe Douglas is this team's general manager. He looks at a player. He says, I am willing to pay this player X. As soon as that player gets more than X, well, here's this player's options. You either come and play for the Jets for that price or you go and play for that other team. 
That's just how it's going to work. Joe Douglas is never going to pay a Jets tax. He's never going to pay a player more money to come play for the Jets. Eventually, he wants to build this build this team to a point where he gets a Jets discount, you know, where the Jets are a dynamic team and a dominant team and a team that is consistently in contention. So you see players take pay cuts and you see players take less money to come play for a winner in the Jets. Unfortunately, the Jets are not at that point. Until they get to that point, this is how Joe Douglas is going to operate. From what I understand, Stephon Gilmore was looking for $14 million annually. That's the contract that he was he wanted. The Jets were never going to pay Stephon Gilmore $14 million. That's not what they were willing to do. So what they did was when they realized that's what Gilmore wanted, they pivoted. They pulled themselves out of the Stephon Gilmore sweepstakes, and they said, okay, where else can we go? They found a player in DJ Reed that they were able to get for $11 million annually. We'll see the exact contract structure when it comes out, but on a three-year deal, knowing how Joe Douglas has operated over the last three years, I can tell you and I can almost assure you that this is really just a two-year deal, and they're going to be able to get out of it after two years. I can promise you that. We'll see how the structure works out, but the Jets were able to get a younger player who still feels a need, still fills a need, has obviously immense, immense experience within this um, defense and at a cheaper price than what they were able to get Gilmore. And at 25 years old, which I'm, I'm not mistaken, again, this has been a very long day, but a lot, long two days. I believe Reed's 25 years old, so you're He's getting a player that's also, also on the upswing, and there's still a lot of years left for him to play quality football. With Gilmore, you probably only got one or two years. So, look, the, the Jets, there were things they liked about Gilmore, but what it ended up coming down to was finances. And now you're going to hear that a lot, that, that Joe Douglas just isn't willing to pay over a certain price at $14 million. That was never something he was going to be willing to do for Gilmore. Gilmore wasn't really to go less. So the Jets said, look, instead of trying to fight this one and wait this one out, here's a player we like just as much. Let's go that route. Now, one real quick thing that, and I put this in my story on, on Reed, which you guys can go read on the athletic. I was doing some research. And if you see, like he had a, a, a pretty good rookie season for San Francisco where he had to fill in, played pretty well in, in spot duty. Second year, didn't play as much, had a lot of high expectations for San Francisco again, going into 2020. They waived him very early on in training camp. So I did some research on that. Like what, what actually happened? Like, why did why did the Jets or the 49ers and specifically Robert Sala have a guy that clearly should promise as a rookie? They were developing, growing, and seemed like he was going to really take over in that third year in, in, in the defense in 2020. Why did suddenly he get cut? You know what I mean? And, and what I was able to turn out was that it was actually just really bad luck. So in the offseason, the, the COVID offseason before the 2020 season, before training camp, uh, Reed suffered an injury, a non-football injury. That injury that the, the 49ers found out was expected to keep him out until the middle portion of the season. Because of the COVID restrictions on San Francisco and the rest of the NFL, it was basically going to be roster gymnastics hell to try to find a way to keep Reed around the team while also still practicing and getting guys ready. It, it was just going to be absolutely hell. So what they figured they could do was, okay, Here's a guy who's not going to be available for like five weeks. Like he's not going to be ready until the middle of the season. There's really no one who's seen that much of him because he didn't play much his sophomore year, not nearly as much as he did his first year. He's clearly not going to be ready for a while. Let's cut him. Let's stash him on our practice squad. And then we'll be able to really bring him into the picture later on in 2020 and especially in 2021. Unfortunately for the 49ers, that they cut him and they cut him on August 4th and on August 4th, on August 5th, he was claimed by the Seattle Seahawks. So the Seahawks obviously were well aware of him. They run a similar scheme to Robert Sala and the 49ers. So the Robert Sala and co trying to sneak him and company. Same division. So they saw him twice a year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they tried to sneak him through and, and get him on the practice or get him on their, their injured reserve list and keep him and stash him there. 
It did not work. The Seahawks saw him, claimed him, waited it out. So they waited it out for a little bit. Then eventually he was able to take over, played so well in place of Dunbar. They ended up being the starter the rest of the 2020 season. You saw him really come into his own in 2021. And, and now obviously as a free agent, the Jets wasted no time. And Robert Sala wasted no time bringing him back uh, under his wings. So Reed's 25, as you mentioned, Jordan Whitehead, 24 today, 25 on Friday. So he's almost there as well. A happy, nice, happy birthday gift for Whitehead uh, signing with the Jets. Four year starter with the Bucks. Here's a guy that won a Super Bowl two years ago. Uh, and Connor, it's it's the safety. Um, how does he fit versus a Marcus Williams? Yeah, quote quote I got on uh, Whitehead. Well, they're they're two very different players. I mean, I, right. I think we'll let's talk a little bit about Whitehead first, and we'll, we'll go into what kind of happened there with with Marcus Williams. But um, quote I got on him from from a source was that is is literally quote unquote underrated bulldog. I mean, this guy's instinctive. He's hard nosed. The one downside of him, and, it, and this is a legitimate downside, is he's small. He's he's not a very big player. He's not very tall. He's not very big. That doesn't stop him from playing physical, but the height is at the the, the size of him is sometimes at a disadvantage. Uh, he's a smart he's a smart player. He communicates. He's elite competitor. Loves football. Obviously, you're going to hear that a lot from players. The Jets sign. That's what they want to add. Um, he has the ability to play interchangeably both safety spots. He can play strong. He can play free. Uh, the story's up on the athletic, which goes into a detail specifically where he played last year. But he played a ton of snaps in the box. He played a ton of snaps split wide to played a ton of splats in, in the slot. He also played a ton of snaps, obviously, at his natural free safety position. He can play man. He has no problem getting his nose dirty and going in there and playing the run. More than anything else, this is a guy who is very, very, very durable. Very, very durable. I think he's had 64 games in his career. And if I have the numbers right, out of the 64 games, I think he's played in 59 and he started 55. So he's been a mainstay in that Tampa Bay secondary for a very, very long time. Again, he's a great guy. They loved him in Tampa. The Jets are going to love him here. Again, a, a guy who loves football. And that's something you're going to hear from everybody the Jets sign. They want to get guys who love the game in this building. They believe that mentality and that thought is infectious and that's why they added him in here i mean the another three words that i got from another team source was young hungry bulldog i mean that's what they everyone's saying about this kid so good player and and he was somebody that jets targeted pretty early on yeah and then as far as williams goes same thing we do with gilmore you know they don't get yeah. gilmore they don't get williams yeah yeah it, look man it was money that that's really yeah. what this was so there was like a recurring theme yeah, I mean, here's the, here's the problem with the Jets, and and unfortunately, this is going to be a problem until this team turns it around. I mean, they're six and twenty-seven over the last two years, and and the only thing that makes that look a little better is if the year before that they went seven and nine, but that was starting one and seven when they were out of the playoffs, and they just happened to beat up up beat up on some really really bad teams. So, when if the money is equal, and you have a contender asking the guy to come play for them, and the Jets, no one's going to pick the Jets. If the money is equal, nobody is going to pick the Jets. That's just how it's going to work. So if you want that player to pick the Jets instead of the other team, you're going to have to pay what everyone calls that Jets tax. You're going to have to pay more money for that player to come and play for the come and play for you. If the Jets wanted Marcus Williams, Marcus Williams was not coming to the Jets for the exact same deal that he was getting from the Baltimore Ravens. So the Baltimore Ravens offered him and got him for what was it? it was five years, 70 million, an average of $14 million per year. The jets were never going to get him for that same contract. As long as the Baltimore Ravens were involved in that, it just wasn't going to happen. They were not going to. So if they wanted Marcus Williams, they were going to have to pay him 16 or $17 million annually. 
Joe Douglas was not willing to pay a safety $17 million annually. That's just not what he was willing to do. And that's what he would have had to do if he wanted to get Marcus Williams. So from what I understand, they never made a final contract offer to Marcus Williams just because they needed his number to get down to a point where they would go after there and attack him. When the number got down to a point where they go out there and attack him, the Baltimore Ravens were already in there. And Marcus, look, Marcus Williams was never going to play for the Jets as long as the money was equal with the Ravens. And the Joe Douglas, which is, again, you can be frustrated with him. You can disagree with him. You can get angry with him. You cannot be happy with this. But as long as he is general manager, he's never going to pay the tax. He is never going to pay a player more than what he believes that payer, player's worth to get him to pick the Jets over somebody else. It's just not going to happen. What he's going to do is he's going to let that player go somewhere else, and the Jets are going to pivot, and they're going to go sign the player that they, that they can get at their value. And if you think about it, if the Jets were going to have to get Marcus Williams, right, if the Jets were going to pay Marcus Williams, you can say conservatively it was going to cost them about $17 million to get him, right? They were able to sign Whitehead, and Reed for $18.5 million annually. That's what it cost them. So the Jets were able to get two players for the price of one. They love Whitehead. They don't believe it's a consolation prize. They loved him just as much as anyone else. They were able to get him, get their corner, and really go take some take some legitimate steps forward in solidifying this secondary and, and getting this team to a point where they can really start to turn a corner and, and, and at the minimum find themselves in some football games. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get back to it. Marcus May, next topic on the board, Connor, as, as you know, it's coming out a little bit that, that the door is not shut on Marcus May returning to the Jets. The Jets still like him very much, but there's a lot to kind of unpack here because here's a guy that suffered a brutal injury. He's got to get healthy again. And he's also got a, a likely suspension. So does that mean that the Jets partially like the possibility of him coming back because they could probably get a discount on him? Oh, they will get him on discount. I mean, because right now he's he's 29 years old. You know the suspension is coming, and you have no idea really what type of player he's going to be when he comes back. I mean, he's going to have to sign a prove it deal no matter what he does. I mean, anywhere he no one's going to give Marcus May a a deal paying him 10, 15, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 million dollars a year. I mean that that. That flew out the window the minute he ruptured his Achilles tendon. I mean, that's just over. And then you add in the uncertainty with the suspension, and you've got a guy who was injured also. He was injured kind of midway towards the later end of the season. This wasn't like it was a September injury. I mean, he was injured a little bit later on. You don't know what he's going to be like rehab. You don't know when he's going to be back on the field. So it almost makes sense for both sides to come back together. You know, if you're if you're Marcus May, this is a defense that you know because you were in it last year. It's a coaching staff that you know because you worked it last year, and it's a team that you know because you've been with them since, what was it, 2017, 2018, whenever he was drafted, the year before Sam. So 
this is now a, a, a situation that's kind of unfolding where for May, it makes a lot of sense to come back. And for the Jets, there are a lot of people within this building that's still very much like Marcus May. Robert Sala specifically. Robert Sala is a massive Marcus May fan, loves him as a player, loves him as a person, loves him as a competitor, loves him as a leader. I mean, Robert Sala is a huge, huge, huge Marcus May fan. Marcus May's issues with the Jets were never Robert Sala related. It was his agent and Joe Douglas going at it over why haven't you paid my player yet? If you're not going to pay my player, let him go somewhere where he's going to get paid. So from what I understand, the door is absolutely, and Albert Breer was the first one to report this, and and I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think it was possible. Like I never in a million years thought there was a chance that Marcus May was going to go back. I saw Breer tweet it. I was like, all right, well, I might as well check in with the people in, in, in the Jets to see if there's even any validity to it. And the first thing that I, I heard back was absolutely. So this door is wide, wide open. The Jets absolutely would love to have him back. And if they do, you're talking about a safety position now that's starting to look a lot better than what it did. I mean, you do have Ashton Davis coming back, which I know Jet fans absolutely hate Ashton Davis, right? And and for understandably so. I mean, the guy really hasn't shown anything since they made him the third a uh, third round pick in 2020, but if you think about it, this was a guy who was considered a developmental project. He did not have OTAs or minicamp as a rookie because COVID took that away from him. He then was supposed to sit behind Jamal Adams and Marcus May and learn a little bit. Instead, the Jets traded Jamal Adams and he was forced into the lineup. He then gets a foot injury and the foot injury robs him of year 2. OTAs mini camp and all of training camp until he eventually gets healthy. And because of the injuries at safety, the Jets are like, hey, get on the field. We need you. So the Jets are not willing to give up on Ashton Davis yet. The Jets want to see how he comes back. They believe that he might take a legitimate step forward now this offseason because he's going to have the chance to have an OTAs and a mini camp and an offseason program and all those fun things. So you've got that player who the Jets still believe in. You've got Lamarcus Joyner who they re signed. You've got a guy in, in Pinnock who's a player that actually flashed pretty good and is now for the first time in his career able to focus on just one position because he was a corner in college, corner free safety coming out of college. Now the Jets are saying you're just a safety so he can practice on that. So you got Davis, you've got Joyner, you've got Pinnock, Will Parks is back, Marcus May if they're able to resign him, and then Whitehead. So you've got a nice little grouping there that's probably going to give the Jets some not only starting caliber players and good caliber players back deep, but also, guys, where where if, if something happens to someone or someone goes down, you've got now a nice little rotation of guys that can come in and play and contribute. So it's uh it's certainly a defense that's looking a lot better. Caveat is everyone's got to stay healthy, which seems like it's been an issue for the Jets the last few years. But absolutely, it's a um it's a, a a position that's looking pretty good, and Marcus May's return makes that look even better. And and like I said, from what I understood, from what I understand, it's 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 very much in play and it is something that the Jets would absolutely welcome. The Jets would absolutely love. It's just going to come down to does Marcus may want it to. Yeah. I mean, he'd be a big if as well. And, but if he's not depending, if you're not depending on him to be a starter and obviously he's not even going to be healthy at the beginning of the year, then Hey, it's worth the risk if it's cheap. And they got Joyner, right. man. And that's the other yeah. thing is like, is like yeah. people forget that like the thing about LaMarcus Joyner, I think that was a very big re-signing for the Jets because he's another one that this coaching staff really liked. I mean, he is so extremely versatile and he has proven to be one of the best free safeties in the NFL when he's allowed to play free safety. I mean, that's where he got to with the L.A. Rams. I mean, he started playing free safety. When he was playing free safety, he had something like a pro football focus grade in the 90s, like when he was a free safety. Hits free agency, the Raiders signed him. For some reason that I can't piece together, the Raiders stuck him at nickel corner and refused to play in free safety. All he played for John Gruden 
was nickel corner. And he's just not a nickel corner. He's a free safety. So he was coming back to the Jets. He was rejuvenated. He was excited. He was alive. He was back to playing the position that he is best at in a defense that's going to give him the freedom to really excel and let his playmaking ability show. And unfortunately, he suffers that injury like six or six, seven, eight, nine reps into the six, seven, eight, nine snaps into that game in the opener. And he's lost for the entire season. So his injury actually isn't nearly as as severe as, as what Marcus Mays was, where you're like, oh, my God, is he going to be the same player? With Joyner, it's just about knock off some rust and, and see what you can't do. So he's a player that I, I, I'd be very, very excited if I'm a Jet fan about him coming back. Because, again, this was a very, very borderline elite level free safety when he was playing for the Rams and then just hasn't played free safety since he played for the Rams. So having him in the mix, having Whitehead in the mix, and like I said, seeing what maybe you don't have in, in Pinnock and Davis. I mean, there's a nice little grouping of players here for the Jets. All right, so let's look ahead to the draft now because I feel like the view on the draft changes a little bit from when we were talking about it yesterday to now talking about it now because we were talking about Hamilton. Now they've gotten a quarterback. They've gotten a safety. We talked about Sauce too. Those are two guys that will still be there. They could certainly still use another corner, um, but when you look at this draft and, and the top of that first round, do things look different for you? I mean, we talked about the number four pick yeah. not being either of those guys anyway, right? We talked about yeah. either Thibodeau or one of the linemen. So that probably yeah. doesn't change. No, and and man, I mean, look, we, we've talked about this so much, both on in the podcast and through print, right? I mean, the Jets had seven base. They basically had seven holes when this season in this off season began that it was imperative that they fill. And those holes were on offense. It was receiver. It was tight end. It was right guard receiver being an X receiver tight end right guard on defense. It was pass rusher. It was interior defensive line help. It was safety and it was cornerback. Those were the seven positions that before the Jets kick off the regular season in September, they needed to fill those positions. To this point, in free agency, they've crossed off four of those positions. They've addressed corner, so they don't really need a corner anymore. If you want to add it, you know, they draft a corner in the second round, that's possible too, but they've, they've done a pretty good job of fixing corner. They've done a pretty good job of fixing safety with Whitehead. Can they add a safety, whether it's that kid from Clemson in the second round, maybe somebody in the third round? Absolutely. But they've taken care of corner with Reed. They've taken care of safety. With Lake and Tomlinson, they've taken care of guard. With CJ, they've taken care of tight end. Now, they're definitely going to draft a tight end as well and try to pair him. They still might sign a tight end, another veteran tight end here as well, but they're going to they're gonna draft another tight end, but they've got tight end taken care of as well. So now you look at this team right now and you say, okay, they started with seven. They've addressed four. What positions do they need to fill? And those top three positions that are unaddressed, and if you look at the free agent market, there really isn't a way to address them competently and assuredly and get really legitimate playmakers there is an X receiver, number one receiver. It is interior defensive line, and it's pass rusher. Unfortunately, the Jets missed out on Hill, and the Jets missed out on Jones on the interior defensive line. You can't fault him. Jones went to go play with Russell Wilson, as we talked about this yesterday, in, in Denver, and Hill decided to go back to Cincinnati, who are the reigning AFC champions. You cannot fault missing out on either of those two guys. When it comes to receivers, Calvin Ridley was going to be somebody they pursued. They lost him. There was no chance of them going after Calvin Ridley because Calvin Ridley got suspended for a year. They were in that. They were given the indication that he's not available. They were given that indication because he, the Falcons knew he was going to get suspended. With Amari Cooper, financially, that was not a player that they were going to go out and get when they viewed him as a declining player. So the Jets are now going into the draft needing to find interior defensive line help, 
receiver, and pass rusher. If you're putting a gun to my head and tell me what are they going to do at number four and number 10, I think they're going to take the pass rusher at number four and they're going to take a receiver at number 10. I think that is, I, I would I would put money down that that's what they're going to do at four and 10. I genuinely believe they're going pass rusher at four. Is it going to be Thibodeau? Is it going to be somebody else? I don't know. I, I know, I think from what I've heard, some of the concerns that have been overblown about Thibodeau and red flags and and all this, I, I've heard it's kind of overblown and, and you look at his skill and talent. I mean, I, I don't, I've said this from the beginning, man. I, I just, I find it so hard to imagine defensive line oriented Robert Sala, who came from the 49ers, who drafted defensive linemen top 10 every single year until they went to the Super Bowl. I find it very hard to see him not drafting the defensive lineman. Thibodeau sitting there staring him in the face at number four. And then at number 10, I see the Jets going receiver. I think those are the two areas that they're going to go. They're going to go pass rusher one. They're going to go receiver two. You then go into that second round. And that's when I think you have interior defensive line is immediately at play. Safety is still at play there if they don't sign Marcus May. And then I think you could have um, tight end as well at play. So there's cornerback could maybe be in play. That's a possibility. Safety, interior defensive line, tight end. And I think that's what you're going to see in the second round, third round, fourth round. You'll see them fill out those rosters as well. But this is all about, and this is how team building works. I know everyone says BPA, BPA, BPA. That's BS. It's, it's BPA at PON. Best player available position to need. That's the way you build a team. The Jets went into this offseason with seven holes. They filled four of them. They've got three left to fill. How are they going to do that? They've got a lot of draft picks to do it. So if you ask me what they're going to do, in my opinion, like I said, pass rusher at number four, receiver at number 10. I feel very confident in saying that's probably the direction that they're going to go. And then rounding out, you're going to see them really heavily invest on the interior defensive line. It would not surprise me in the slightest to see the Jets draft two interior defensive linemen between the second and fourth round. I genuinely believe that's a possibility there, along with a safety and tight end worked in. The one problem with uh, the plan makes sense, right? You're filling all those needs. The the one thing about the receiver is, A, this draft doesn't have the guy at a receiver, yeah. right? doesn't have the guy that is going to step in and, and be that star. In fact, maybe it doesn't have a guy that's really going to be um, it's deep, which is good, but to just taking him at 10, who knows? But um, that's the one thing I think is whoever you're taking at number 10, if it's a receiver, you probably can't count on getting major production in 2022 from that player. No, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't even go that far. Honestly, I wouldn't go that. I think you can. I, the issue is like there have been players that have kind of ruined the expectations and, and kind of screwed normal rookies and, and the expectations of normal rookies. And they're guys like Mike Evans, who had a massive rookie year, Odell Beckham, who had a massive rookie year, Justin Jefferson, who had a massive rookie year. And then obviously chase, who just had a massive rookie year. The truth is that that's like, that's the anomaly. Like most players are more Debo Samuel, who's a player who had flashed some as a rookie, had a little bit of a step back year two, and then exploded in year three. Receivers are usually players that take two to three years to really hit their stride and really get off and running and really take off and, and thrive and, and really get to the point where they're, they're dynamic players. It just takes them a little bit longer. I do know that there's a lot of play. I mean, I talked to some people that know a hell of a lot more about the draft than I do and know a hell, about, a hell of a lot more about receiver than I do. And what I kind of talked to when I ask them about receiver, right? Because a perfect example is I talked to somebody yesterday about it. Like I called somebody that, that, that knows more about this is much more locked into this than I am. And, and has a much better football eye than I do. And I made that comment. I was like, yeah, I was like, but I hear this is a weak receiver class. And the person stopped me and they were like, Connor, it's not a weak receiver class. The class just doesn't have a chase in it. Like it doesn't have that right. no doubt bona fide top five receiver. Like the, the, there is a belief 
that Chase is going to be one of the top five receivers to play in the NFL for the next, if he's not already there for the next 15 to 20 years, not 20, 15 years, like something like that. Like he's going to be like extended that a little bit further. Like maybe Jerry Rice, like if he's playing Jerry Rice, years. Yeah. but he's going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL for the foreseeable future. Like that is, that is what the feeling is with Chase in this year's class with these receivers. You have very good, potentially really, really, really good receivers. You know what I mean? Like Garrett Wilson's never going to be Chase, but that doesn't mean he can't be a number one receiver. London isn't going to be Chase or Mike Evans, but that doesn't mean he can't be a number one receiver, right? So unfortunately for the Jets is that they need a number one receiver and there's no Chase. You know what I mean? Unfortunately for the Jets, they need a number one receiver and there was no one available to sign in free agency and there was no one to trade for. So that's just the unfortunate part of it. But they're going into this one and, and they still like some of these guys. They like the guys that are there and, and they are more than more than willing to go out there and get one and develop them. And you put that player next to next to Corey Davis with, with Elijah Moore in the slot. And the jets believe that they can, they can make something happen there. And you add another tight end to the mix and suddenly you've got some weapons and, and maybe you can't develop them and, and, and put them in place. I mean, Michael floor, one of his expertise is his receivers. That's his thing is he likes receivers. He knows receivers. So if he feels confident in the jets drafting one and he feels confident that he can work with that player, then I think the jets are going to be in a pretty good position, but I mean, yeah, it is a shame that there's no chase. It's a shame that there's no one they could take it for that you're like, holy crap, this guy's such a stud. But at the same time, there are still some receivers that they do really like. All right. So before we say goodbye, um, big signings done. Look ahead to the draft, or is there still a little more work to be done here? Uh, honestly, man, it's if I saw I saw something out there, the Jets were gonna like sign Chandler Jones. That's that's not happening. That and that's not happening. I don't know. And I've seen in the um, comment section here, a lot of people have asked about OJ Howard uh, from what I understand. OJ Howard's not happening either. He's just, he's not a player that they're interested in that pass. Treader comments too. Uh, yeah, I saw Brown's that. So here's the thing with Treader is that I reached out to a source close to the situation for a little scouting report on JC Treader. And because the one thing that I know about uh, the one thing I know about the jets is that they are trying to get nasty up front. Like they, they felt that the offensive line was a little soft over the last couple of years and they just want to get some nasty SOBs up there to just kind of instill a different mentality up front. So if Treader was one of those guys, like just a nasty SOB, I could absolutely see the Jets saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut Connor McGovern, save $9 million. We're going to go put it into Treader and bring him in here. But based off of a source close to the situation, I've heard nothing but incredible things about Treader, that this is a guy who is, Wait, athletic, so he's too he's too nice a guy for the Jets. He's a nice player. He's, he's a nice guy, but he's he's <laughs> not. He doesn't. This doesn't mean the Jets won't go. I haven't talked to anyone in the Jets about Treader. Like I, I really haven't. But just knowing that they want to get nastier up front, and Treader doesn't have that personality of a nasty guy. Like I don't necessarily know. Like nasty in between the lines. Like not not off the field. Like in between the lines, nasty. I don't know if that's like if that's an area that they would go or if they would say, you know, what, let's just wait this one a little bit longer. Let's see what we can't find in the draft. See if there's a player there that we might not go after there and get. So he's one that I don't just again, I have not. This is not me talking to anyone within the building. Like I, I have not started to do my homework on Shredder and the Jets and if they're going to make that pursuit. But that was one of the like that was one of the reasons why they made a call on Jensen was because Jensen's like that nasty SOB. Like they want they want that mentality in there. And if Treader's not that, I don't know if they'd want to move him out like I really don't know if that's what they would want to do but OJ Howard is not somebody that the Jets are going to go after Allen Robinson I would be very very surprised if the Jets went after Miles Jack look linebacker is not the need 
that the public believes it is within the Jets building. Like the Jets believe that their issues at linebacker last year was because of their issues at interior defensive line. And if they fix the interior defensive line and they allow their linebackers to run free by fixing the interior defensive line, they fix the linebacker position. If they go get Miles Jack or they go add a linebacker in the first round of the draft, he's just going to struggle as much as Quincy Williams or CJ Mosley did because the Jets need to fix that interior defensive line. So the Jets love Mosley. The Jets love Hamza. The Jets love Sherwood. Like they love what they've got working there and they certainly love Mosley. They're not worried about that. So if you're looking for where the Jets are going to go from here, from my understanding, and this is from talking, that the big signings are done. Like this is like the big splashes, the big waves, the big moves that the Jets were going to make. They made them. And the moves were Reed. The moves were Tomlinson. The moves were CJ. And the moves were Whitehead. Those were the four main big moves. That the I love Jets that you made. just say CJ because you're terrified to is say it. Is it Uzoma? Is it Uz? I, I, so is it Uzoma? Uzuma. 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 Yuzuma. Okay. Yeah. I'm just sticking according to my Google search. Yeah. Yuzuma. All right. I got, I haven't talked like we haven't met him yet because he hasn't officially signed because it's a legal tampering period. Um, But those four signings were the big ones for the Jets. So now moving forward, what you're going to see is they're not done signing players. They're still going to sign players, but the guys you see from here on out are going to be more depth signing value signing, things like that. If I was to compare it to anything, I would think last year the Jets made their splashes, right? They went out there, they got Corey Davis. They went out there, they got Carl Lawson. They went out there and they got uh, Jared Davis. Those were like their big three signings that Douglas wanted to get, and he went out there and got. After that, you saw guys come in here like um, Joyner, like Sheldon Rankins. I would expect over the next coming days, week or so, you're going to see more Rankins-like signings. You're going to see Joyner-like signings. Guys on two-year deals, guys on one-year deals, guys for under $6 million, guys for under $5 million that are going to contribute, be good veterans, be good placeholder stopgap guys. But as far as like, if you think the Jets are going to go out there and get like Jadavion Clowney or the Jets are going to go out there and get Chandler Jones or the Jets are going to go out there and get some you know guy that's going to cost $10 plus million a year or $40 million, those are done. They, they made their splashes. It's the four signings that they made to this point. Now it's going to be about depth and value from here on out. All right, good stuff. The Jets have been busy. It's been fun bringing you this stuff the last two nights. If you want to join The Athletic, we got a great deal going right now. You read all Connor's stuff. If you're not already a part of The Athletic, $1 for six months. So $1 a month for six months. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait for that deal. Uh, next time we are back with the show, Marissa will be back. So I'll have to do less work. It's Maybe. Great, I don't know. I think she might find a little we'll- like. We'll see. I think she might find like another byline or something like that, or some little some little secret clause to, to sneak out a few more few more minutes of PTO. <laughs> a little more PTO. Uh, we'll probably be starting late though on the next episode because of that. Thanks for tuning in to the Can't Wait Podcast.